It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. I'm your host, Rick Cole. This is our 95th episode, and what we've been doing for these 95 episodes each week is taking you back in time, 50 years, when we report on all the hockey news from that period in the words of some of the greatest hockey and sports writers of all time. In this episode, we're in the week of August 16th to 22nd, 1971. Everyone's favorite time of the year is right around the corner, college football season. To celebrate, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new players in the center of the action with $200 in free bets instantly if you bet a dollar or more on any college football game. Take advantage of this limited-time offer right now. You heard right. DraftKings is giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 or more on any college football game, no matter what. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all the great promotions and daily odds boosts that they're offering. DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable, located right in the United States, so it's easy to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any college football game. That's promo code THPN to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only, and new customers only. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Got a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In addition to DraftKings, we're also sponsored by Newspapers.com, the world's largest online newspaper archive, and by the Breakwall Brewing Company in beautiful downtown Port Colborne, Ontario. 
And if you like what we do here every week uh, on the podcast, every day on Twitter, you can help us out by going to patreon.com slash hockey 50 years and subscribe to this this podcast. Subscribers not only get early access to each week's free podcast, but we have some really neat special content that we're putting out a couple times a month where we're able to take a a bit of a deeper dive into some of the subjects that were quite prominent in the hockey world 50 years ago. That's patreon.com slash hockey 50 years to subscribe and we thank you for your support. So at this point in 1971, we're in the home stretch of summer, so to speak. We passed the halfway point of the month, and teams were were furiously trying to get players under contract before that August 20th deadline. Uh, The deadline was that players who had not signed their 71-72 contracts by that date were automatically scheduled to go to arbitration, and this year... Hockey team owners were a little uneasy simply because good old Clarence Campbell, the stooge of the owners, as everyone knew, was not in the position of deciding these matters. No one, not the players, the owners, or the general managers actually knew what the new arbitrator, Ed Houston, might do with all these uh, contract disputes. As a fan, I, I kind of was trusting that Ed was a stand-up guy who would rule fairly. But really, would he? Maybe I was just being naive. A lot of us maybe were being naive. But then again, hindsight's twenty twenty. No one really knew how dastardly Alan Eagleson, who got together with the owners to approve Ed Houston, no one knew how, how Eagleson would actually be proven to be such an awful person. Well, this week we'll start off with the quick hits, and here they are right now with the uh, news bits from this week. Now, as we mentioned last week, this, the Canucks uh, were trying to get their three top amateur draft picks under contract, and those signings finally took place as the week got underway. Bud Poyle, the Canucks general manager, flew in Bobby Lalonde, Jocelyn Gavermaw, and Richard Lemieux from Quebec along with the two lawyers that were representing the three players. The, the ploy worked as the youngsters uh, absolutely loved the city of Vancouver, and really, who wouldn't when you're taken to all the, the best places? Uh, terms were agreeable to the lawyers. Contracts were worked out. They had a press conference. And the kids were all all right in Vancouver. But the first player to sign with the Canucks was goalie George Gardner. And uh, it's kind of interesting. Gardner and the management of the Vancouver club didn't always see eye to eye during the first uh, season that the Canucks had. Uh Gardner always thought he should be getting more playing time. The management thought he should be getting more playing time too, but they thought that playing time should be in the Western Hockey League with Seattle. But Gardner just simply didn't want to go to the Western League. He felt he was an NHL goalie, so he refused to go. And the Canucks had to keep three goalies around, the other two being Dunk Wilson and Charlie Hodge. Gardner got to play regularly late in the season because of injuries, and he actually finished last year with the best goals against average on the club, although that was a lofty 3.38 goals against per game. 
So Gardner made a point in this when he was uh, negotiating his contract, and I guess uh, Bud Poyle bought it because the two uh, parties came to uh, terms, and he was the first Canuck to sign a contract. And a short time later, the Canucks put another player on a contract, and that's rookie goalie Ed Dick, who compiled a 2.53 average in 66 games with the Junior A Calgary Centennials last season, and this is, of course, his first pro contract. A couple of other goalkeepers were signing contracts as well. The Flyers signed goalie Bruce Gamble, who was supposed to share the net this year with the veteran Doug Favell. That's two veterans, actually, with the team. Gamble came to the Flyers late last season in that big trade that sent Bernie Perrant to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Goalie Al Smith, whom the Detroit Red Wings claimed in the interleague draft from the Pittsburgh Penguins, signed his 71-72 contract with the Red Wings as well as general manager Ned Harkness announced. Uh, Smith is 25 now, six foot one, 200 pounder. He's in his fifth season as a pro. Last season, he played 46 games for the Penguins, uh, compiling a 3.10 goals against average. And Al also notched a couple of shutouts. And he should be in the running for the number one spot in Detroit this season. He's battling Andy Brown and Joe Daly. Canadians were busy as well. Six young players, including their top two choices in last June's amateur draft, came to turns with the Stanley Cup champions. Forwards Guy Lafleur, Chuck Arneson, and Murray Wilson. Defenseman rookies Bob Murray and Larry Robinson. And a goalie by the name of Michelle DeGuise signed with the NHL Canadians. Both Lafleur, a 133 goal scorer with Quebec Remparts last year, and Arneson, who scored 79 with Flintlon Bombers of the Western Canada Hockey League, agreed to two-year deals. Lafleur and agent Jerry Patterson expressed very much satisfaction with their contract. Patterson said, it's a two-year deal and it was very satisfactory who is also an advisor to Jean Beliveau, who retired as the Canadiens' captain earlier this summer. Patterson said, I found Sam Pollock to be very factual, very reasonable, and very fair. Arneson negotiated his two-year deal with the help of lawyer Bob Wolf, that's a Boston lawyer, and of course, uh, he he helped Lefley and uh, Ray Martiniak as well. It's Chuck Lefley and Ray Martiniak as well as Arneson last year. Uh, and uh, Arneson was saying that he was satisfied with the deal. Of course, Bob Wolf, you'll remember, was the guy that represented Derek Sanderson in Boston. And he's starting to get quite a, a stable of young players that he's representing now around the NHL. The Red Wings acquired a player this week, and guess who was the person, the who uh, sportscaster who had the scoop was the player they acquired. They purchased the rights to veteran left winger Brian Conacher from the Toronto Maple Leafs this week, and they immediately signed him to a one-year contract. Conacher has been a sports commentator with CKLW TV in Windsor, and he was the first one to put that out on the airwaves or in print. Now, the Red Wings drafted Conacher in the interleague draft uh, a year ago in the spring, but he retired 
And, and since then, his rights were traded from the Red Wings to the North Stars, and the North Stars sent his rights back to the Maple Leafs. And today, the circle was made complete as he was sent back to the Red Wings, who immediately signed him to a one-year deal. We have some just awful news out of Windsor, Ontario. We hate reporting these stories up, but this was a big story uh, of, of a guy whose career I was actually kind of following. Uh, James Edmund Mahan was one of Ontario's most promising junior hockey players in the 70-71 season. And this week, 50 years ago, he was accidentally electrocuted while his mother, grandfather, two brothers, and an uncle watched in horror. Police said that witnesses told them that Mahan, who's 19, was fixing a water pump at his uncle's home in Maidstone Township when his grandfather switched the pump on. The young player, who was being watched by his family, was electrocuted instantly as a result of what police believe to have been a bad electrical connection. Police said that the Mahan and his family were spending their vacation at the summer home of the uncle. It was just one of those stupid accidents, said one of the police officers. We're still trying to find out why the pump wasn't properly grounded. Mahan was pronounced dead on arrival at a nearby hospital. Death was later officially attributed to asphyxiation as a result of the electrocution. Now, now Jim Mahan played right wing with the Peterborough Peets of the OHA Junior A Series last season, where he put up 45 goals, 44 assists, in only 62 games with that team. He joined the Peets two years ago as a result of a trade with the team he originally belonged to, the Hamilton Red Wings. That's James Mahan, 19, a fine National Hockey League prospect, uh, unfortunately passing away due to a terrible, unfortunate accident at his uncle's home. Five players from last year's National Hockey League Stanley Cup champions will be coming to the Baltimore Clippers this winter. They won't be regulars. Don't get ahead of yourself here. But the Clippers and Canadians have made an arrangement whereby the Habs will send five players to Baltimore to help them out during the season. And it, it keeps some Montreal players in the AHL. They've got so many darn prospects. Their number one farm uh, club, Halifax, isn't going to have room for them all. So some of these kids are not going to get a lot of playing time. Well, by making this arrangement with Baltimore, some of these guys are going to get regular AHL time and it could hasten their development. And of course, that ain't good for the rest of the NHL because the Habs have a lot of good talent coming up and they're going to be a good play, a good team with these young players maturing for a long, long time. Now, it's not known for sure who's going to end up in Baltimore, but some of the players expected to end up there are goalie Lyle Carter, a six foot two, 200 pounder, who was the International Hockey League's first all star goalie last year with Muskegon, Ray Martiniak, uh, first round draft pick who didn't have a good first pro year he's probably going to end up in Baltimore as well a few defensemen going Bart Crashley who has the best name in hockey as far as I'm concerned and Murray Flagel are going to be down there along with 13 year pro Jean Gauthier who's bounced around in the NHL but he's a, a good AHL 
regular. Uh, another uh, fellow that might possibly end up there is Kerry Ketter. He's a 24-year-old who was acquired by Montreal this past summer in a trade with the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, the Habs sent veteran NHL forward Leon Rochefort to Detroit for Kerry Ketter. I, I've spoken to a few NHL referees uh, over over the years, some really good ones, the late Bruce Hood, the late uh, Ron Wicks, Brian Lewis, uh, Bob Sloan. Lots of them have been around, and, and they're really good guys uh, for the most part. Uh, but they all, all talk about, you know, the criticisms they, they, they receive as a result of being National Hockey League officials. Well, one National Hockey League official decided to do something about the criticism this week. NHL linesman Pat Red Shetler, he was tired of hearing uh, commentators whine about the officiating, so he turned in his whistle for a microphone. Yeah, Red Shetler, whose previous experience in broadcasting was confined to uh, some um, armed forces radio uh, while he was serving with the Royal Canadian Air Force in Europe, was appointed the Flyers play-by-play television commentator, and he won the job over 13 other applicants, all with considerably, considerably more broadcast experience than Red Shetler. Now, Red will broadcast 30 of the Flyers' road games and four home games for WTAF-TV Channel 29 in Philadelphia. Former uh, pro, in fact, 20-year defenseman Larry Zydell, who ended his career with the Flyers, he'll be the color commentator on the broadcast that Shetler does the play-by-play. Well, you got to wonder, how does a guy like Red Shetler get a job like this right off the bat with no experience in the NHL? Well, we'll tell you how he got this job. Shetler lives in Alliston, Ontario, and he used a self-promotion scheme to win the job. He's long been interested in broadcasting, and last spring, while doing standby duty as an NHL linesman, he privately taped his play-by-play commentary of the third and fourth games of the Chicago-Montreal Stanley Cup Final. I've seen guys do that at hockey games and at Blue Jay games, and this is what Shetler did. Then, Red's no dummy, he was very smart. He asked Brian McFarlane to listen to the tapes and to critique them. Well, McFarlane was very impressed and suggested that Shetler get his tape around to various hockey clubs and also to some of the uh, agencies that represent the broadcasters. Soon after that, Shetler heard about the Philadelphia job coming open and he supplied the Flyers with the tape that McFarlane had heard and guess what? The Flyers gave him the job. Now, Red Shetler joined the National Hockey League officiating staff in 1966 after 10 years service with the Royal Canadian Air Force. Softball fans in many parts of Ontario, and I'm one of them, would recognize him as the plate umpire officiating exhibition games played by NHL referees and linesmen. He'll make his last appearance in that capacity at the CNE this year on August 28th when the NHL plays the Philadelphia Hobos. They're sort of a specialty softball team. Those guys, I saw them play a couple times. 
and they were darn good. So Red Shetler now in the broadcast booth, no longer in the referee stripes. The Cleveland Barons of the American Hockey League announced that their general manager, John Muckler, has named his new coach, and he is John Muckler. Uh, owner Nick Maletti said the choice was made because Muckler was the best man available to coach the Cleveland Barons. Muckler replaces Parker McDonald, who was recently hired by the Minnesota North Stars, to be the coach and general manager of their development club, which is going to be in the AHL next year in New Haven, Connecticut. This next story, I have to admit, I had no idea about this. I, I think there may have been a little piece that I saw in one of the newspapers back 50 years ago when I was following whatever I could. But this name would surface a few years later. Herb Brooks resigned as assistant hockey coach of the Minnesota Gophers for what he termed was a lack of communication with Marsh Ryman, the athletic director of the university. Uh, Herb said, the whole time I was treated coldly and I just can't live that way. Brooks said he devoted a lot of his time, including his vacation from his insurance business, to doing what he considered to be a good job with the Minnesota Gophers, but he was never allowed to go on any road trips except to nearby Duluth. Now, Brooks said that he had almost resigned when the Gophers refused to send him, along with head coach Glenn Somner, to the NCAA championships last March in, in Syracuse. Brooks said Somner tried to convince Ryman about getting some more money for my job. The word was that there just was no money, but it wasn't really the money. It was just the way I was treated. Herb Brooks was a star hockey player for the university and for the U.S. Nationals. His salary as an assistant reportedly was about $1,500 a year. Herb Brooks is going to go back to his insurance business in Minneapolis. I think that's where it was. And he'll work for full-time in that uh, business. Long-time Chicago Blackhawk fans, uh, are going to be very happy to hear that one of their all-time favorites, Mush March, is still in top form. Mush is now 62 years old, and he shot a 69 to win the Chicago District Senior Golf Championships, and good for Mush March. Maple Leaf signed a U.S. college player this week, but they were a little bit unhappy with the youngster Murray Heatley of the University of Wisconsin was signed to a pro contract by the Leafs, but the Leafs didn't even get a chance to announce it because Heatley let the cat out of the bag to several people and it found its way onto the wire surfaces. And in fact, the announcement that I'm getting, the first one, came from the Associated Press in the United States. Minneapolis sports columnist Dick Cullum was wondering about the possibility of Russian players in the NHL. That seems like a remote possibility in the summer of 1971. But here's what Dick had to say. Russia knows its hockey players are superior to any other amateur players in the world. It dares to think that they can handle the North American pros. There has been some speculation about introducing professional hockey to Russia or introducing Russia 
into professional hockey. It makes you wonder whether the NHL might not become packed with Russian players someday. The process of the draft and establishing negotiation rights would function throughout the league, including... Moscow. Cullum writes that he can't put an exact figure on it, but he'd have to guess that the number of Russians living in a hockey climate must be five to one greater than the number of Canadians and Americans combined living in a, quote, hockey climate. If hockey takes hold over there as a professional sport, there will be that many more men trying for positions in what will be the international, not national, hockey league. By draft and trade, there would soon be a lot of unpronounceable stars playing for coach Jackie Gordon and others in the NHL. As Friday rolled around, we found the Rangers managed to get both of their Vesna Trophy winning netminders under contract. Eddie Jackman and Jills Villamere, winners of the Vezina last year, signed their contracts and was announced on Friday. Jackman allowed 2.15 goals against the game and had eight shutouts for the Rangers, while Villamere had half that number, four shutouts in the number of games he played. That was pretty darn good, and his average was also a very tidy 2.29. Veteran defenseman Daryl Sly, who was up with the Maple Leafs, uh, I think he had some time with the North Stars and with Vancouver, he announced his retirement this week. And, and we'll give you Daryl's words as why he's retiring. Now remember, this is not a superstar who's uh, a household name in the NHL. And there may have been some skullduggery by Vancouver here to keep him from going on waivers. But here's what Daryl Sly said about his retirement. He says, my decision's final. I'm through with professional hockey. Uh, he talked from his home in Collingwood and he said, I reported September 1st to my new job as one of two men in the physical education department of a brand new elementary school here in Collingwood. And he says he's very excited about it. As you know, Daryl's been a teacher before and he's thought a lot about getting back into teaching the last uh, year or two. Daryl says, I'm 32 now, and I know I'll never get back to the National Hockey League. This opportunity just opened up, and while I might be able to play for another two or three years in the minor leagues, there might not be a great teaching position open when I'm done with hockey. So I'm ready to get into something more permanent now, and this is it. Sly said that at this point he's just waiting for his voluntary retired papers to arrive so that he can sign them and then mail them right back to the NHL offices. Uh, he said he wants to play a little senior amateur hockey around Collingwood. Now, they had a good senior team in those days because he wants to stay in condition, but he says, I am not playing anymore as a pro. He says, I regret leaving Rochester. I got my college degree there from St. John Fisher College, and I played most of my hockey uh, with the, the Americans. So he says, the people in Rochester are great. The management was always great. And while I won't miss hockey too much, I am going to miss Rochester. If you've been following us, you know that over pretty well the whole summer, we've been giving you almost weekly reports that Bobby Orr's contract was ready to be signed. Al Eagleson said it's ready to be signed. 
and he made a, a weekly uh, point of that somewhere, and I reported on it like uh, like we did all the way through. And this week, actually, United Press International, one of the most respected wire services, carried a story that Bobby Orr had signed his contract. But the Bruins made no formal announcement, and you got to wonder what was going on. Why all the confusion and the mixed messages? Well, there's a reason why. I'm going to give you the UPI story of what they said about Orr signing his contract. And then I'm going to tell you what maybe is going on here. UPI reports that Bobby Orr, who speaks softly but wields a big hockey stick, signed a five-year contract at an estimated $1 million over the five years with the Boston Bruins six months ago, the team announced Thursday. We didn't find any formal announcement anywhere, and the Boston Globe, the big paper in Boston, had nothing. Weston W. Adams, president of the club, uh, said news of the signing had been withheld because of some minor matters that had to be resolved and because both parties felt that agreement was a, quote, private matter. Terms of the contract, of course, were not disclosed by the team, but Adams apparently had said recent speculation on the million-dollar pact was misleading. Another quote, the 23-year-old Orr only said, I'm very happy, with the contract. Alan Eagleson, Orr's financial advisor, who was also executive director of the National Hockey League's Player Association, said the contract was the highest in the history of hockey and probably one of the highest contracts in the history of sports. Orr was quoted as saying, I've spent five years in Boston. There have been five of the greatest years of my life. I'm happy to stay here for at least another five years, and I'm very, very happy. But a scan of most newspapers, and especially the ones in Boston, there was no announcement. Now, what the heck was going on here? Well, there was something key that I read in that story that Weston Adams had said that Bobby Orr signed the contract six months ago, and that is significant. Why? Well, maybe President Nixon's wage and price freeze initiated in the United States recently had something to do with it. Bobby's getting a huge raise here from $50,000 a year to $200,000 a year, and that would be a no-no under this wage and price freeze. A huge like this just would contravene that presidential edict. So how are they going to get around it? By just saying he signed it before the freeze took place. We don't know for sure exactly that's what happened, but I think that's going to be their story, and they're probably going to stick to it. There was a big signing in Pittsburgh this week, but it wasn't a player. It was coach general manager Red Kelly, who agreed to a five-year contract extension to remain as coach and GM of the Penguins. What kind of surprised me about this is the Penguins have been crying poor, crying poor, and then they got bought by somebody, and they had to take care of a huge $3.5 million debt But they had money in the coffers to sign Red Kelly, and they convinced him that it's worth sticking around with Pittsburgh for five years. So it was probably a good move because Red Kelly's one of the soundest hockey minds available, and if there's anybody that can turn the Penguins franchise around, it's probably Red. 
Well, with these contracts, we do have to talk about this, the wage and price freeze. Uh, there was uh, quite a few reporters were going to kind of uh, amalgamate a bunch of this, uh, what they were saying. Clarence Campbell and Brian O'Neill were front and center. They were fielding a lot of calls from reporters this week about just what this wage and price freeze meant. Well, if professional and bas- and uh, professional football and basketball teams in the U.S. are seeking exemption from the voluntary wage and price freeze, the National Hockey League is going to do the same thing. They're going to seek to be exempt. And that came from Brian O'Neill, who is the NHL executive director. O'Neill said we would ask for the exemption in the same way as any other professional sport. If it's given, it's going to be given to professional sport, not just basketball, not just football, and certainly it won't be given to hockey. Now, why not baseball? Well, football and basketball in the United States are still at this point in the year in the position where all their contracts are not signed. Baseball doesn't have to worry about it right about now. Only a handful of NHL players have signed new contracts for the upcoming season. Training camps open in a couple of weeks, but unsigned players are not allowed to enter training camps under the new NHL rules unless they've signed on the dotted line. Now, as we mentioned earlier, all contract disputes not settled by August 20th are submitted for binding arbitration by Edward Houston. Walter Kennedy of the NBA, uh, he's their commissioner, he was asked about the exemption from the wage and price fees, and he said, when we've got something concrete, we'll uh, announce it. But uh, we actually started researching this situation very uh, diligently this morning. We've got all the paperwork, and so the NBA is studying it. Ed Garvey, who's the executive director of the National Football League Players Association, says he sent a telegram to Pete Rozelle, the NFL commissioner, seeking a meeting to discuss ramifications of Nixon's actions. O'Neill said the NHL, that's Brian O'Neill, said the NHL has not been informed whether it will be exempted or not. Now, the unique thing with the NHL that the other two leagues don't uh, experience is that the league has teams in both Canada and the United States. And if the American teams are subject to this and the Canadian teams are not, it probably gives Canadian teams an unfair advantage or the Canadian players an unfair monetary advantage over their American counterparts. And that's something that nobody really thought about when all this started. And they're starting to think about it right now. Well, there was more complications to this as well, not just player contracts. But a lot of teams had been going to raise ticket prices this year, and nobody really knows what's going on. Uh, Brian O'Neill was asked about it, and he said, I haven't got any idea because I haven't uh, seen the new prices for tickets yet. I would suspect that, you know, there would probably be between 5 and 10% raise in some of the new ticket prices. Bill Wirtz, dollar bill of the Chicago Blackhawks, here's what he had to say. 
He said there have to be special considerations for sports. Stan Makita and Bobby Hull signed two-year contracts, but we have players who have completed their contracts, and there has to be some way to compensate the increase in their abilities. Imagine that. Dollar Bill saying that he's going to be giving players raises. That isn't what he's worried about. He wants to raise his ticket prices as well, but he's got to say he wants to give his players raises to keep uh, some semblance of uh, kind of an ethical uh, approach to this problem. Bill Wirtz with an ethical approach to a problem. Imagine that. Well, by the end of the week, Clarence Campbell did make some statements. Uh, He said with everything going on, they wondered what's going to happen with the contracts and whether there would be an exemption. And Campbell said that we're discussing that possibility and that he's meeting with Alan Eagleson, who of course is the NHL PA uh, executive director and the NHL's board of governors. Campbell said, it is our opinion that players in the NHL are not part of standard label, the, the standard labor force that Nixon is trying to control. They are not a sufficiently significant part of the American economy. Campbell says that enforcing a wage freeze on the players will produce some extreme and serious discrimination. Now, as we've been telling you, the players have to have their contracts signed by August 20th or they go to arbitration. Well, here is something that none of us knew about, but Campbell let the cat out of the bag to Dan Stoneking of the Minneapolis Star when he said that that rule had been suspended until this wage price freeze is figured out. Here's the goofy part. Of 14 teams in the National Hockey League, 11 of them are in the United States. We know that. But 95% of the players in the NHL are Canadian. The arbitrator is Ed Houston. He's a Canadian. So you're going to have a Canadian player having his contract dispute arbitrated by a Canadian arbitrator, although he may play in the United States. Who's really got the control over whether he can get the raise that the arbitrator might give him? A sticky situation, and this is one that we would have to stay tuned for and see just how it would go as time went on. Well, here in in, uh, 2021, we're caught up in analytics in, in the world of hockey. It's a huge part, maybe the major part, of player evaluation these days. I know I've been involved in it. I've worked uh, with Stathletes, which is the company uh, former Phoenix general manager Johnny Chaika formed. And, and I really enjoyed my time there, by the way. And I watch hockey much different now than I ever did before I got involved in that. Uh, did you know that 50 years ago, in the summer of 1971, at least two National Hockey League teams were beginning to use the electronic brains, as they were called then. They were using computers to collate and analyze their scouting data. Both the Maple Leafs and Flyers announced the move to the use of computers, and Dan Proudfoot of the Toronto Globe and Mail got inside with a a fellow that whose name you'll probably recognize with the Maple Leafs, who told us exactly what the Leafs were thinking with all this newfangled gadgetry to try 
and get a better handle on all the information from their many scouts around the world. Dan Proudfoot writes that the newest member of the Toronto Maple Leafs can't skate, but management's like its thinking. The team has signed a computer, which eventually will decide which amateurs the Leafs do draft. Jim Gregory, general manager of the Leafs, Bob Davidson, their chief scout, said that they had joined forces with Optimum Systems Incorporated to try to develop player selection system utilizing computer technology. The Leafs will cooperate with the Philadelphia Flyers and St. Louis Blues in that all three teams will contribute scouts who provide basic information to feed the hockey brain, which is located in, of all places, Palo Alto, California. Is that in Silicon Valley? Howard Starkman, who was the Leafs' director of administration, said, you know, we expect to be laughed at. People will remember what happened when other companies switched over to computers and bills got hopelessly mixed up. But the truth of it is, though, it likely will take four or five years to develop the system so that we can rely on it. Starkman said the computer people wouldn't want us to use their ranking this year, for example. At first, we'll be cautious with it, but the idea is to develop it so you have complete faith in the computer's ranking of junior hockey players. The key to the leap decision, which by the way was made entirely without electronic help, is to use the OSI service but the key to this was a success enjoyed by the Dallas Cowboys of the National Football League with their recent drafts. They've done very well. Dallas, San Francisco 49ers, Los Angeles Rams uh, are NFL teams who use the OSI system. Early in the six months of discussions which preceded the Leafs announcement, Jim Gregory and Bob Davidson were introduced to Gil Brandt, who's OSI's most satisfied customers as the vice president of the Dallas Cowboys and director of player personnel. Gregory said that the Leafs were very impressed with the fact that Dallas has had the rookie of the year two seasons in a row with Calvin Hill and Dwayne Thomas. Dallas wasn't at the bottom of the league and so they weren't picking very early in the draft yet they came up with the best player from the draft each year. San Francisco, Los Angeles had the players rated high too and they could have taken them even before Dallas, but they didn't have enough faith in the OSI computer ranking, or so it seemed, so they missed out on these two fine players. The thing is that you got to have complete faith in the computer's uh, recommendations in order to make the selections. Now, don't get the wrong idea here. The present Leaf scouts, such as uh, Bob Davidson, Johnny Bauer, Torchy Shell, they don't have to run out and get their resumes ready because they're going to need new jobs. They're not going to have to learn the computer technology either. They'll play an important role in developing and making use of the OSI uh, computer. Starkman emphasized that there was no more than the three of them were sharing the cost. But you got to wonder, well, is there going to be some collusion here? And that's not really how it's going to work. Starkman said that in reality, 
uh, they're not partners. They're just sharing costs. And all three teams, they're not getting the same information. Each team is going to develop its own computer program, meaning that each could get different ranking of players available in the draft based on what they're going to feed into the program to see what they get back. Now, here's what Howie means on all this. He says, just to give you an idea, Philadelphia might want its players to be 6 feet, 200 pounds, or have blonde hair. Or it might emphasize skating. We might feel a guy who is tougher is more important to our hockey club. So we'll get a different list than the blonde 200-pounder who maybe wouldn't spend time in the penalty box. Over the next couple years, you understand that the Flyers would probably be the team looking for the tough guys. So once the OSI computer is rolling, it will not only take the scouts' player reports, but it's going to rank their value. For example, uh, if you went out and saw a game and filled a report, it wouldn't give it as much valuable if I did it instead of Bob Davidson, who, of course, is one of the best scouts that ever scouted hockey games. The Leafs hired two more full-time scouts uh, to have a couple more guys giving data to this three-team cooperative. They brought in Jacques Toupin of Three Rivers, Quebec, and Frank Curry of Calgary, and they're going to cover, of course, the Quebec and Alberta provinces, and all the Leaf Scouts will fill out the computer forms, and then they'll be filed with OSI in California, and we'll just have to see what happens over the next few years with the Leafs amateur draft selections. And of course, it'd be interesting to see what St. Louis and Philadelphia do as well. So that is this week's show, everyone. Uh, a late summer show. We did manage to find some hockey news again. And what did we learn this time around? Well, we learned that Bobby Orr has or or hasn't signed his contract. And what was really going on uh, would simply should have been a slam dunk, began to take on the look of an exercise in getting around some government rules. We found out that an NHL on ice official has left the ice to take up a post in the broadcast booth, Pat Shetler, Red Shetler, with the Philadelphia Flyers. And we learned that a member of the media, Brian Conacher, has left the press box to return to the ice as a player with the Detroit Red Wings. Well, some of the stories we're working on for next week's show, there's going to be a lot of player signings as the teams are trying to convince players to forego arbitration because the arbitration process looks like it is going to go on. Uh, we're going to report on the biggest signing of the week in great detail. And you got to wonder, is a Bobby Orr's contract finally going to be a done deal? We'll get the answer to that next week. And we have some news in what's going to be a very light hockey week, by the way. On the 1971 Hockey Hall of Fame inductions, which were not without a little bit of controversy, but there was a very nice side story to the event as well. And we'll tell you all about that next week. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole. I can't thank him enough for all his help and all his hard work he puts into this. Andy produces podcasts for lots of different people. And if you're looking to have something done for you, let us know and I'll hook you up. He's a real 
media professional. The very popular journal-nominated Toronto Indie Rock Group, The Rural Alberta Advantage, provides our intro and exit music, and if you ever get a chance to see them perform live, they put on a great high-energy show, just like they did a week ago out in Edmonton. Other musical pieces and sound effects are all crafted by Andy Cole as well. Our research comes from files from the Toronto Star, the Toronto Globe and Mail, and of course, the many fine publications found at newspapers.com. You can find us on Twitter at at hockey50years and on Facebook under the 50 years ago in hockey banner. We're on the Hockey Podcast Network every week. That's the best place to get to this podcast and our WordPress site is hockey50yearsago.com. Don't forget our Patreon page, patreon.com slash hockey50years. Thanks to everyone for your support and following us through the summer. And on that note, we will see you next week. When the ice breaks.